Welcome to the Dion Bobcast. It's me, Leland Stale. <laughs> if that is not the most November like introduction, <laughs> I don't know what could be. Yeah, I'm Leland Steele. It's fucking November. The only holiday is to like, you know, celebrate the war dead. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. You know, usually like I expect like 15 seconds of welcome to the DR Bob. Yeah. Anyways. Maybe for the new year. Once we hit the new year. <laughs> That's right. It's been a drag. Because we know in the middle of a gigantic war in Europe and Disney failing and all these other things going on that 2023 will be much, much better. <laughs> How could it get any worse? Moby, the eternal optimist on the T-Hud podcast. (laughs) Anyways, Leland, uh, how you doing? Oh, fine. Fine. Uh, Yeah, no, that's that. That's good. Um, Yeah, I mean, listener, like, you know, I'll I know we've been a little bit off our recording schedule here. I'm not going to lie. We don't have any obligation to apologize, pushing it back a week or two. But, um, you know, shit happens. We, we've we been sick. We've had issues. We've had issues with guest scheduling. Um, we won't have that issue next month. We will have a guest, but this guest will appear. I'm very sure. But this, this month, November, in my opinion, the worst month of the year, you are stuck with just myself and Leland. You're, you, you, you're, this is your least favorite month. Yeah, I I hate I hate November and I have excuses for that. I feel like the weather is the worst where we live. It's like this cold and rain that just borders on snow but won't snow. And it's just like cuts through your soul every time you get outside. As I mentioned, the only holiday of the month And, like, I respect the veterans a ton. Like, I'm super into veterans and war movies and everything like that. But, like, the only holiday is a somber one to remember uh, veterans who fought and died in the war. And what else is there in November? Yeah, and you know what? uh, To boot, uh, November 11th was the six-month anniversary of my dad's death. (laughs) So that was a great holiday. Like, to the day. (laughs) So that was a great holiday. <laughs> well, that's going to be fun when I forget that and bring it up every year. Ah, no, fuck. I, so. I mean, I can't believe it's been six months. It's, it's, ugh. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. That's, that's rough. And, and like you said, in a lot of ways, 2022 is a year to remember. Unfortunately, like the two years previous. Well, exactly. Can't we have a mundane year? Will 2023 just be mundane? Because I'll settle for mundane. <laughs> totally. You know, I bug you for loving draws, but I would take a draw yes. of a year. We need just a draw like year. average yes. baseline year <laughs> for a year. And I'll like be happy. Everyone needs a draw year right now. <laughs> I put on a lot of weight, but like, let me lose half of my weight to like, so I'm like only half above where I used to be and I'll still be happy. screw the leap year we need a draw year every four years (laughs) you know somehow like uh ghost marty pulled like a a a powder or whatever that movie is where like uh, patrick swayze's a ghost he somehow impregnated his wife so ghost marty is despite being a ghost is gonna have a child in the spring so that's gonna be a big deal (laughs) i do i do believe there was a pottery wheel involved (laughs) 
<laughs> no. I can't believe you know that meme. That's awesome. I just imagine Ghost Marty sneaking up and he's like, you know, I'm not a poltergeist. I'm a penis geist. It's okay. But, but it's, it's not a it's not a pottery wheel. It's like a squat rack. And Ghost Marty squat, is spotting his wife doing squats. He's spotting her. She's like, wow, squats have never felt so good. What's happening? And so small. Oh, okay, I should stop. He might listen to this from hell. Uh, I got banter, baby. I got banter. All right, kick it off. <laughs> okay, I got medium banter. I got small banter. Okay, small banter you know because I mentioned this last week. I just want to recommend to listener, if you're looking for an, you know, I don't want to say like super mature because that implies rated R because it really is PG-13. But if you're looking for like animation with a good story, I saw Superman Red Sun over the weekend. I know it's been out for a few years. I rented it. I actually really enjoyed it. I am not nearly as much into animation as Leland is. But but it was good. And it's about Superman. Like, what if he was born in the Soviet Union? What would he do? Because he still, he still soups, right? Like, he still has his pure heart. But being born in the Soviet Union, it's like nature versus nurture. And you see how he shapes the Soviet Union with his natural good heart, which unfortunately is kind of tied into the Soviet Union. But you also see like what happens with Lois Lane and Lex Luthor. And it's interesting because like Lois Lane and Lex Luthor are married in this universe, but they don't really have severe marital problems. Like it shows how they actually could really get along as a couple until the very end. And it's also semi-beneficial on Lex. In some ways, Lex is almost like more of a good guy than Soups is by the end. It just really makes you think. Yeah. So, okay. So, you know, repeatedly over the years of podcasting about the DCEU specifically, the cinematic universe for, for DC, I have constantly and routinely said that what they need to do is make really cool Elseworld films. Superman Red Sun is an Elseworld comic. Right. That's like that. And so that live action, that's the kind of shit that I want to see live action from DC because they have really cool concepts. And it's the same as like, you know, Marvel does like their their what if stuff. Right. They've done numerous what if comics. They had their own animated what if on Disney Plus a number of months ago. I think it was last year, actually, now at by this point. Yeah, I don't know. These these kind of alternate stories are just really interesting. And I, I have yet I haven't seen the the animated film. I am a fan of the graphic novel. I do have the hardcover uh, collection of Superman Red Sun. It's just, I like, it's really cool because it's also kind of like that whole, you know, Batman has that whole thing about like, oh, if Batman's villains are as insane as they are and, 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 you know, larger than life as they are because Batman is. And you, you, you always have that conversation about, well, if Batman didn't exist, would there be this escalation in supervillains as well kind of thing, right? And it's it's kind of the same thing with Lex Luthor here in that story. Without Superman as being this foil and almost like this, because Superman is always like this, almost like this idealistic figure that I think Lex often is portrayed as wanting to be, but but 
better. But I, if I had this, I the things I would do, right? The things I would do with that power is just really cool. I think, I think a lot of the times that Superman gets a really bad rap, and I think Superman has a lot of cool and interesting stories in his comics, and I that's also why he's one of my favorite DC uh, heroes. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I don't want to stretch this too far, but you know, I like when certain media stretches the idea of soups like what the boys does with homelander um you know essentially has the same power powers and um i mean certainly that's like an extreme end of what soups could turn into but uh you know where where i like red sun is it shows where he could lead into with his same nature but a different nurture and he believes he's doing the right thing in all his universes all his universes homelander believes he's doing the right thing i mean it might be selfish but he does and it's just interesting to see another view of that i mean my one my one criticism which i told you as well it sucks because dc animation is so beautiful we grew up with it you know i used to see it on the weekends as a kid but they do this weird frame cutting thing that i've i've looked into in the past where they cut like every third frame of animation and I just feel like it cheapens the whole thing. It's like, oh, well, anime doesn't have that many frames. So let's just be like anime. And I want to be like, okay, but anime has a level of art complexity that North American animation just simply doesn't have. So if you cut frames so that it's really jerky animation and you don't have fantastic art, then what are you really looking at? So that's that's what's annoying me is I remember when they had more frames of animation. I realize this gets incredibly technical, but I remember when they had more frames of animation when I was a kid watching similar animation, like the art style was very much the same, but like the movement, the actual animation of the characters was better. And to save money, they've been cutting frames out. And I feel like it's super noticeable. And it might not be for like a kid growing up and this is all they know. But like for someone like myself that grew up in the early 90s, yeah, I notice. Because I've seen so much of the the animation that didn't have the frames cut. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But anyways, we got a lot of banter to go to. And I know you've got at least something. So what banter do you have, Leland? Okay, I don't know when this episode is actually going to release, so it may be over already. But currently, it is the Intergalactic Aerospace Expo 2952 for Star Citizen, uh, <laughs> running November 18th to November 30th in 2022. For those unfamiliar, this is kind of a this is like a yearly. It's literally an expo hall that they put a they they hold that RSI holds for their video game Star Citizen. It's a it's a fundraising event, but both in game and outside of outside of a game. Essentially, it allows anybody that doesn't have uh, what they call a pledge, a ship pledge, which comes with access to play the game when you purchase a ship, but allows you to play the game without having to get a pledge. So you get to, it's a free fly event, off uh, routinely called as well. So in game, one of the one of the places on on a on one of the locations on, on one of the planets in the systems. They literally create an expo hall where you can walk, you know, run your character around. They have all the physical ships in the hall, so you can go up to them and then you rent them there. And because in in game you have you like call ships at 
like docking pad locations essentially, right? So when you rent them, they show up in your list so you can just kind of retrieve them, pull them out, and then go get in and fly around and shit. Every day, uh, a manufacturer, a specific ship manufacturer hosts a day, right? So, you know, on day six or whatever, or I think day one was like Drake Enterprises right away. Day two was Origin, et cetera, et cetera. All the different manufacturers and companies of sh- that create the ships they have in the game, they host a day and that dictates what you can rent on that day. Uh, your rental lasts about 48 hours, which is how long they stay in the expo halls. And I think in the past years, on the last day, you've been able to rent just everything, like whatever you wanted on the, on the last couple of days. I don't know if they'll do that again. Again, it's not, uh, not quite the end of it at the time of recording. But uh, this, is, this is also, which I didn't know until this year, uh, that they also have like certain ships that are only available for purchase with real money at certain times of year, like now. So you can't just buy every ship at any time of the year that you want, right? And also some of the more prestigious ships, which which equates to the more expensive, and they have like this, it's a rarity system essentially that they're building. But they there's only a X amount of uh, Y ship available for anybody to to buy, which is which I find is interesting. I mean a lot of a lot of those ships where they open up like these waves of availability they're still like concept ships because they're like larger ships that don't really have gameplay loops yet. Uh, but usually when you get one of those, you get like a, a placeholder ship, something that you can actually fly in the game. That's kind of like it. I think it's fun. I, I like the free fly events there. It's interesting because it like floods the servers, right? Because a lot of people, a lot of new people can play for free. Uh, which sometimes will make the servers run really poorly. Although the player count on the servers have, has been boosted to like, they, I think they can max out about like 110 players in one server, which it used to be like 50 or something not too long ago. So it's interesting. Um, it's cool flying some of the ships that you, you know, wouldn't fly otherwise without paying real money or in-game currency for them, which some of those ships cost like millions of the in-game currency, which can take a while to to earn, right? But I'm digging it. It's cool. Uh, lots of new players. Although today, actually, I had uh, before we got recording, I was playing for about half an hour, and I had I had one of the worst negative gameplay experiences I've had in this game. Oh, we're we're going to. We've said before we want to do an episode on Star Citizen, which we're, we're going to in in 2023 sometime. This game has a lot of glitches. It's got a lot of bugs. Uh, veteran players know how to work around those bugs and avoid them. And there are certain certain things you can do in-game that w- you will avoid the bugs. Um, and then other things, you just have to deal with them when they pop up, right? But this experience had nothing to do with that. Uh, I was just flying flying my ship. I had a little, um, it's called the ROC, the rock miner in the back of my, my uh, Drake Cutlass Black. On my way to the planet to do some mining, make some money. And I jumped from a space station to this moon. I think a dude followed me. He was red, which means he's got a crime stat. But pretty sure he followed me. We kind of target each other. And then he flies off. I'm like, okay, great. I didn't really want to fight. I just want to go do my shit quickly and then get out of here. So we kind of part ways. I'm flying right off. And then I get a notice saying that I can press charges against somebody because they've tried, they've, done this illegal interdiction which the interdiction mechanic in the game means you can't use your your like faster than light travel your quantum drive to zip 
large distances really quickly. So that shuts that down. So I'm like, but I wasn't trying to do it. So the only notice I got was that I can press charges. And I'm like, okay, fine. Fuck this guy trying to screw with me. I don't know where they are. And then like two stealth ships just kind of show up on me. Didn't detect them on the radar because they're, they're stealth ships and doing what they're supposed to do. They start coming and then blasting me. A third and fourth ship now come and finally show up on my radar. One of them is continuing to interdict me so I can't quantum jump away. I'm fighting the three other guys and then they drop my shields and I get EMP'd. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So systems go dead and I'm like dead in the water, dead floating in space. And I'm like, what the fuck do I do? And then I expect to just immediately be shot and blown up because I'm literally a fish in a barrel. I'm just sitting there waiting to waiting to explode and nothing happens. And I my my they the shift from the momentum when the power went out, it's just slowly listing. And so I'm like spinning slowly in circles around and I see this moon, and then I spin, I see space, and then the ship's just surrounding me, literally just watching me spin. My power comes on finally, the EMP wears off. I try to boot out of there. I get, boom, instantly EMP'd again because my shields haven't come back up. So they hit my systems directly, right? Because I have nothing protecting me. And they do that like five more times and they don't kill me. And I'm like, what is, like, what's going on? I, I'm, I literally can't do anything. So they purposely shut down my ability to play the game. Just to troll you. I guess, I guess. I, and like, if they had blown me up, I would have been like, wow, that was really cool. A gang of dudes just came up, showed up, stopped me from jumping away, EMP'd me and just destroyed me. Like, that's cool gameplay. And if I was better at dogfighting, maybe I could have gotten away from it, right? If, my, if I was able to keep my shields up, et cetera, et cetera. But they literally just made it so I couldn't play the game. So I just, I just ended up logging out because I couldn't do anything. I log out, I log back in. Thankfully, I didn't, when you do that, you don't really lose anything on, on your person because uh, there is a bit of, there's like a kind of a permadeath thing going or not permadeath but if you die you can go recover your items from your dead body because you basically get cloned now is kind of this the revive system they have in the game but like that's that's probably like the most negative experience and it was like and i wasn't even like mad i was just like this is really toxic <laughs> this is they're this making is... you forget to have fun exactly this sucks <laughs> like what are they doing you know a game has made it when like schoolyard bullies are able to just like <laughs> transfer into it you know that 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 does seem very annoying and i played the game not in the last couple of years but i know how annoying it can be if your ship's not working and you're just like floating there or whatever so yeah sorry to hear that but uh you're right you know we'll play it in 2023 We'll give an in-depth review of where it's at here on the podcast, um, and I look forward to that. Man, I don't even know if I want to bring up my second small banter because it is so small, but I basically have stumbled on a channel on YouTube that reviews like 4K UHD Blu-ray masters that like shouldn't really exist. It's like movies like, okay, so we're almost in American Thanksgiving. It's like planes, trains, and automobiles with John Candy and Steve Martin. Have you seen it? You probably think it's a pretty funny movie. I mean, it's like considered like probably the classic movie for American Thanksgiving. But like, did that movie need a 4K update in like UHD? And the the, the objective answer, Leland, is no. 
Because <laughs> it was filmed a not fantastic film because it was just a drama. It had zero special effects. So to make it 4K, basically AI has to go through it and artificially smooth over everybody's faces and stuff. And it just doesn't look realistic. And then I watched this guy's channel, which is this is all the the kind of DVDs he or Blu-rays he goes through. And there's so many of these dramas that just have unnecessarily been operated to 4K. And it's like, why? Why? Why make someone pay $30 to see this, like, you know, a salesman from Barcelona or whatever, like some sort of drama where there's like zero benefit for being in 4K, except now they're adding distracting special effects that take you out of the movie. You know, you know why? Because because people will buy them, exactly, right? Like, because people will buy. Um. Okay. So the big thing, and this heavily hints at something that we're going to discuss in one of our two segments today. But I have to have both a disclaimer and a proud announcement to listener that as of this afternoon today, I am an owner in the Disney Corporation. Oh, of the T really podcast. Has bought, let me get this correct, for reasons I will explain later, I am now a 0.0000007% owner of the Disney Corporation. (laughs) (laughs) So, I did buy their stock today, spending most of, actually it cost me most of a a paycheck, a two-week paycheck for the amount of stock that I bought, but... I'm so confident in my goals for Disney stock over the next year that I was willing to put that risk in. And I thought it would be funny to bring up the fact that in the most technical of terms, I am a Disney owner. Because when I brought that up to non-listener Joe, my good friend whom I watched uh, the season finale of Andor with today, he, like, when you bring something up like that with Joe... He immediately wants to like hammer you down flat. So he's like, oh, by the way, Michael Eisner has 14 million shares, which is worth 1.32 billion. And he still owns less than 1% of the company. So he's like, take that, Moby. (laughs) Whoa. Which which is crazy. Like the company's worth like hundreds of billions. Now that said, Disney stock, which we will discuss potential reasons why. Disney stock has fallen 40% in the past year, since December 2021. And my goal is very simple and very straightforward. I just want my stock to get back to Disney's baseline. Then I'll sell it. I'm not greedy. I don't expect it to double or triple. I just I just believe with the new owner, or sorry, the new CEO at the head, the new old CEO, which we will discuss, that I am confident enough in Disney just getting back to its baseline stock levels that I will make a moderate profit off my investment today. Though if, you know, listener wants more X-Files, you know, Little Mermaid 4, whatever, you know, just talk to the owner. Call me Moby Disney. You know, I'm like a brother of Walt <laughs> right about now, you know. Did they, did they dumb down the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland? Yes, they did. I will make it PG-13 again. <laughs> wow. C- congratulations, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> 
That is the biggest 7% previously followed by seven zeros that you've ever known. <laughs> I mean, it's more more of a percentage point than I own, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's funny because they're the first. Now, I've just gotten into stocks in the past couple of years, but they... You know, they've just been normal companies. If I were to tell anybody what my portfolio is, they wouldn't know them. It doesn't mean they're not bad companies. It just means they're not well-known in the public. But, you know, if you say, you know, you're a Disney, Disney stockholder, then, you know, it makes you, <laughs> makes you feel like you don't rent a small one-bedroom apartment outside of Vancouver. <laughs> but I, I, I digress, but... Uh, now, I thought I'd bring that up, especially given the discussion today. So that's my final banter. Wow. Yeah. They, okay. Well, I mean, we'll get there. We'll get there. But yeah, we'll they definitely there. haven't You're taken right. the we'll dip. Get. Probably a good good time to snag them. Uh, okay. Well, let's 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 move into our first segment then. Uh, it's more of a hybrid segment. Movie title: Media Killers. It's kind of spurred by Netflix's uh, Dahmer. I believe the subtitle is monster a something a story of a monster i don't know what the subtitle is <laughs> but uh it's starring uh evan peters as jeffrey dahmer and it it like it's like this it kind of has two different perspectives that they kind of interweave and try to tell throughout the narrative of it i think it's 10 episodes uh, or so you know kind of give you background information about jeffrey dahmer the notorious uh serial killer and also you see a lot of from his victims POV and the victim's family point of view as well in the, in the later half of it kind of thing. And I don't know. I kind of wanted to just talk about this because like, I know Moby, you haven't seen it, but, but I watch a lot of true crime. Oh, sure. Sure. And, and and the point isn't to specifically talk about that series, but in general, the, the pervasiveness of this, fascinating morbid curiosity and this fascination that the majority of people have with like you say true crime you know media right and to preface this listener you know i have to say that i'm coming from a, most of my answers will be from an anecdotal and a philosophical perspective um because i i took psychology in university i maxed out my criminology electives so I'll be speaking from what I've seen in person, but also what I think of as someone who's a big fan of psychology, why there's an attraction to this kind of profane or macabre content. But before I, you know, dive into this, you know, Leland, I mean, I'll be honest, I think, you you know, you suggested this segment. What are your initial thoughts on why shows like these are a hit and why people are attracted to this kind of stuff. Uh, I try to think, try to answer that question when I think of like, why do I, why am I drawn to these things? Because I, I, I like true crime. I listen to a lot of true crime uh, podcasts and like you, like, I mean, I know you love uh, your unsolved mysteries and as do I, and, and that kind of stuff. I don't know. It's almost it almost seems like ineffable. Uh, I'm not sure why they're fascinating. I mean, I, I'm sure that there are people, some people that actually get off on listening to the, what some of these people do. But I think for me, it's more like the, the types of 
true crime that I currently am in, they're more like the focus is on the resolution of an incident of an incidence rather than the incidents itself, right? Like it's more like obviously you need to know some of the finer details for the setup. Otherwise, how do you get the payoff at the end, right? Or 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 like with unsolved mysteries is like actually getting the solved mystery. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah, I think that's also why like a lot of uh, like cold case show, cold case files, and shows like that too, right? Interest have a big draw because like they're they're you're you're getting like this fi- finality to something. Uh, that's what I like about a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, I would think that there there's a couple aspects of psychology at play. Um, I think finding a resolution and being interested or comforted in that is a big part of it. Certainly when it comes to unsolved mysteries, like in this past year, my priority was to go through the entire like 1990s and early 2000s back catalog of unsolved mysteries and i mostly liked it when they had updates about actually solving the unsolved mysteries so i'd agree with you on that i think the other thing at play is people in a sense are attracted to the fact that like a serial killer just just like bursts through the mold of normal expected decent polite human activity and you're looking at a human that's just out there doing monstrous activities that they feel compelled or frankly want to do. And most of us self-censor. We we stop ourselves from having any sorts of profane thoughts or else we deal with it by exercising or playing violent video games or whatever way to get those impulses out of our system where killers are like the rare people to just like do it just like embrace it and i think sometimes that speaks to us in like looking like could that be me could that be someone i know because a lot of these serial killers are people next door right like they or they look or seem that way you know ted bundy seemed like a handsome everyman college student who makes up half of the law classes and is going to you know, get married to some beautiful wife and have four kids in a successful law practice. And he was anything but, but, but he looked like that. And Dahmer himself, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I'm not a Dahmer expert, but you know, he was kind of nerdy, quiet, introverted, awkward, yet he would go into these social situations like these gay clubs and become this total predator. And people are just really interested. Like, how does someone do that? How does someone pull that off beyond the first crime? Yeah, and I, uh, I mean, this isn't the first, you know, Dahmer show that Netflix even has. They have at least one other doc, actual like documentary about Jeffrey Dahmer. But I mean, like, when it comes to this specific show, uh, or, or and, and shows like this, like it, they just seem unnecessary to me. Uh, one because like the material has already there and already been put into some type of documentary form for like this i don't know what you, i don't know if you want to call it an educational purpose right and then you have this this series that is just i the first word that comes to mind is sensationalized that's a little strong for this series but i do think this series does 
ultimately end up being exploitative for these victims. I just, I don't understand why this was, was created. And I know the, I think the creators, Ryan Murphy, I think his name is, has been like adamant from the start. Like we, we, the first thing we have in mind is the, is the victims and their stories when creating this series yet countless of these victims have gone on the record as saying that nobody, not a single person from Netflix who are involved in the show approached them or talked to them about it. Exactly. I was going to bring that up. Thank you for bringing that up because as I look, as you said, I've not seen Dahmer, but I've looked into the show. That is accurate. As far as I can tell, you've got a showrunner saying, Oh, you know, we've kept the victims for foremost in our mind. Then why didn't you talk to them or their families? Like, that seems like such a natural thing if you're going to make a crime drama. And because of that reason alone, and I don't think it's bad for me to say that reason alone, I do find Dahmer ex- exploitive because you're not giving both sides of the story. And as much as you might think you can by like reading articles on it or something, but Really, like that that's just a jerk move. If you're not going to talk to the families of the victims, how can you expect to get a proper picture of things? Yeah, I don't I don't understand. Like it's all it's almost like a game of telephone, right? You're you're Right. Because all everything portrayed in that show is all I mean, yes, so so legally they don't have to talk to anybody because it's all public record. But I don't know, this this just again when I think when you deal with stuff like this it's funny to say that true crime stuff like this goes beyond the legal, right? But something like this kind of, when you're dealing with victims, it's it's really the the morality that uh, needs to, you know, needs to be at the forefront, uh, in my opinion. I completely agree. I, you know what, though? I, I do want to say this. Like, I'm sorry. I have to bash people in general to a degree because I do think there's a secret fetishization of these serial killers. And... I, I did mention I was going to get into anecdotes, but I have long told everybody, like, if you're a college age person or, well, especially a dude and you're heterosexual and you want to find where all the hot girls are in the university, attend a crim class. Like, I, like I'm just saying what it is because that's exactly why I went to crim class. I got a hold of the few <laughs> hot girls I knew at my university. They're all going to take crim. And so I took it to be with them. And then the whole class was like, was like 75% hot women. And one of like, well, no, not one of the most disturbing thing I ever had in my six years of university was when Bundy was showing on screen in like Crim 100 and all these women you could hear through the whole auditorium were like, Oh, and I'm like, Oh, like, sorry, <laughs> trigger warning, trigger warning listener. I'll give it right now. But like, Bundy was like shoving lampposts up, you know, women's private parts when he was killing them. Like there's no room for, oh, like, don't you realize these people are monsters? And it scared me at the time. And and that stuck with me in like the 15 years since I was in university. Yeah, it's really disturbing. Uh, I I mean, I agree. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't quite understand it. Cause like, does this, does the, does the opposite happen for like female killers i don't i honestly don't think so i don't think so like where what i want to say and again i'll give another disclaimer listener i do not 
mean for this to cross into the boundaries of sexism or misogyny, but I think there unfortunately is a learned trope that the bad boy, the aggressive boy or man, you know, is, is attractive. And I think in a very fucked up, I'll just say it, sort of way, there is with a few people an attraction to these serial killers. Because one thing you'll find out from all these serial killers who've been imprisoned is that admirers write them love letters and like try to get with them and meet them, all of them. Even Dahmer, who was gay. You know, he had women right. like all over him when he was in prison. And, you know, well, of course, Bundy as well. But, you know, th the point is, unfortunately, there's a subsection that is sexually attracted to that. And, and that has to be brought out in the open or we can't deal with it maturely as a society, in my opinion. So I think that's part of the problem. As far as women go who are incarcerated for the exact same reason, like serial killers, I think that societal tropes are that, you know, women should be gentle, accommodating, helpful, this and that. Like a woman who who is an aggressive, violent person is not even not a killer, but just like aggressive and violent is is not really considered sexually or sexually attractive by her culture or is violent assertive men sometimes are even um even like uh evan peters the 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 actor right that portrays Dahmer, his character in uh season one of american horror story tate langdon like back then that character had this following this like heartthrob following of like oh i see you know if seen a bunch of different memes online when i was researching a bit today it was some of them were like Oh, the I would let this killer kill me or something like stupid shit like this with like a picture of Tate Langdon from that show. And then that show, he's like a school shooter or something or it's been a while since I've seen that. But like it's it's just you, you can it. go way back with this. This is not like a single generation millennial or Gen Z thing. You know, I know you would have heard of the movie, but like Psycho, which I think was filmed in the early 1960s with Anthony Perkins as the psycho, he became a sex symbol over that movie where, you know, he's the quiet, awkward introvert, slays the woman in the shower, very famous scene, you know, eh, 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 that sort of like theme. And he, he became a sex symbol. And that's like our parents or grandparents generation. So there's right. something intergenerational that I will say is wrong here. Like I, as much as what I'm expressing today is my opinion, I will say it is unequivocally wrong to be sexually attracted to a serial killer. And if you <laughs> want to fight me on that, all right. Well, okay. Well, okay. It's, 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 it's wrong to be attracted to them because they're a serial killer. Right. I'm not saying anything different than that. They could happen to be an attractive looking person, but also be a serial killer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, but you know, Leland, like, and this goes back to your own point, like, I can't think of a, a single female criminal that I was like, wow, I'm, I'm attracted to her, you know, more than in anyone who's just like a cool woman who I might have on my Facebook or a met or gone on a date with. There's nothing that's like ever attracted me to a criminal 
women in it and there's connors so there's like gold digger women out there that look good right so you don't uh you don't get any of them in this the old spank bank oh she's no. she ripped off six million dollars from this guy <laughs> no. damn she's fine <laughs> you know i'm weird about that and i admit i'm different you know i i require what i consider a personality attraction to truly be attracted to someone even like a celebrity i've never met and i know this is fucked up but it's like who do I always talk about? Anna de Armas or in the yeah. past, Eva Green. And it's because I have convinced myself that had I met them in real life, our personalities would like totally mesh. Now, that could be absolute <laughs> bullshit, but that's required yeah. for me to feel that level of attraction. And okay. when it comes to women who've been, you know, major criminals, I, I don't feel that. I would say this, and this is just thought but in opinion but i would say that okay men who tend to be criminals tend to be more physically attractive in general than female criminals i'm just saying but i mean i think there i think uh, that comes with a certain type of charisma right that allows them to uh, more easily prey on people uh, as well right like I, i think it's just a i think it's just part of it uh, so you're telling me right now, you're telling me, though, that if Eva Green was convicted tomorrow of murdering five people in their sleep, you would no longer be attracted to her. And she was sentenced to life. I would tell you that. And I would mean Really? That. I would. And I would stand by that. Like a flick and a switch. Okay. Yes. Flick of a like switch. Flicking, like pulling the switch of that electric chair. She's out. I mean, I would tell you that, like, her body is attractive, like, that she looks attractive, but I would okay, no but longer you're not be attracted, attracted to, her. to her. Okay. Okay, I can give you an example that's kind of a middle ground. All right, all right. So, recently, I don't know if you know who she is, but she was sentenced, like, just a few days ago to 11 years in prison. Her name's Elizabeth Holmes. She was, like, a tech CEO of a company called Theranos yeah, that Ther- made Theranos, a fake... Yeah. yeah, Theranos. They made, like, a fake blood scanning machine now as far as looks go as far as looks go like i find her quite attractive there's this weird thing about her that i find a little bit not attractive which apparently she went through voice coaching to make her voice manly and so when you see her talk it like actually doesn't mesh with her body but apparently it's like she purposefully coached her voice to be like that and as an adult she wasn't like that but everyone who comes across her says like oh i was just swept up in her charisma i was just like speaking to her in a room she was just so attractive so trustworthy she put me under a spell and there's part of me that wants to have like half an hour with her in a room and talk to her to see am i mentally strong enough to resist whatever medusa charms (laughs) elizabeth holmes has Really, okay. and part of it's like an ego trip. It's like, well, all yeah. these other men and women somehow fell to this person that had a machine that didn't work, and they gave her tons of money, yeah. and keep saying she's a great person. She didn't do that that alone. Uh, I mean, Sunny helped a lot in that. But have you watched The Dropout? I, I have not watched The Dropout, but I, I have looked at documentaries on her. So yeah, when you say Sunny, I know who Sunny is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would recommend it. It was it's it's very interesting. I think Amanda Seyfried does a great job. Ooh, uh, I like playing her. playing her. Yeah, she does a really great job. It's just funny though, like 
because I haven't seen any footage of the of the real life Elizabeth Holmes, but watching the dropout and seeing like this portrayal of that person, to me, it's like you go through this whole thing and you're like, I don't get what people are buying from this. Like, I don't understand it. So I, I don't know. It's 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 funny you say that. It just it may have been and it may have been the way that like they purposely like framed her in that show, right? Because like she's clearly a bad person. Like she Yeah. While while yes, I mean there's a lot of pressures that she's obviously dealing with too, but in a lot of those circumstances she, you know, pl- plowed ahead and put herself into and just never backed down and put a lot of people at risk. Right. And a lot of money, a lot of people's money flushed down the toilet. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. This stuff's weird. It's just perception, right? It's all about perception. Um, Aside from, you know, the actual illegal activities that these people are doing. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. Well, not to like change the, the topic on this particular segment too much, but. You know, we do have some points and and I'm wondering if this fascination has leaked towards video games and board games, um, to your knowledge. I don't think like specifically like uh, you know, Asmodee isn't putting out the uh Jeffrey Dahmer or the board game. Uh <laughs> you know what I mean? But <laughs> I think in general culture, like I mean we've been talking about how it's permeated, I found uh on Amazon like a bunch of like a couple different Jeffrey Dahmer cutting boards. One of them has like wow. a, like a wooden cutting board with like the the burned you know picture right of like I guess it's supposed it's supposed to be Dahmer right and it just says if you can't beat them eat them <laughs> like shit like that <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh great okay wow. here's a twenty five buck cutting board right order it off Amazon <laughs> right I got my Dahmer cutting board like what oh man that that is that is good prep that is good prep. <laughs> But I think I think though, like your like you said that uh, fetishization, fetish, fetishization, because like that's also I mean obviously like that's not specifically sexual like that could be like a person being like I want or somebody that may have those types of tendencies wanting to like be that person like you know when you look at like a quote unquote celebrity and you're like wow I want to be this person. I mean, like you kind of hit off the top of ways to deal with some of those, like violent. I don't know what you would. E- what do you even call them? Those urges or like? Yeah, I, I use impulses. Impulses. Like everybody has impulses, right? In, in varying degrees, in varying situations. It's like that that natural impulse, like when you're standing somewhere on a height, and you like that have, almost have that impulse to just drop off like the side of the cliff you know yeah and and, i mean i couldn't to be honest i couldn't find a ton for video games i mean the first that came to my mind was manhunt yeah me too a bit of an older game grand theft auto to degree because you know it fetishizes at the very least like a criminal lifestyle but there there hasn't been a ton out there i couldn't couldn't find anything for board games so I don't actually think it's really infected other media at this point, which which I think is a good thing when I say that. You know, I think if, you know, you had kids that were rolling dice for like a critical hit with a butcher knife, you'd start to have issues there. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think there's still a line somewhere, which which I mean, uh, uh, 
I don't know. It's interesting. I think I bet though, like if it was, if you're able to abstract it enough, like the same way that you can play like a game like Axis and Allies, this is an incredibly abstracted concept of, of war, right? Yeah. Of of a very terrible thing that still plagues this world constantly, right? Yes. So if I think if you if someone found a way to abstract it enough, and to market it in the right way, they would they would get away with it. Like this is how it is. It would. I don't, know, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't be a huge hit, but, like, it would probably make money. Because, again, it's just cashing in on, you know, the sensationalism of it. Sure. I, I mean, I think you could do it. I, I mean, I even have seen uh, mechanics in games that would, you know, you could bend towards that kind of game. Whether it's Clue, whether it's, um, oh, what was that game? It was, like, Escape from Something Manor or House that you had. Or like you were initially all on the same team, but then one person turned into the bad. Oh, Betrayal at House on the Hill. Yeah, That's yeah. it. Betrayal at the House on the Hill. There's mechanics like that you could fairly easily twist to a serial killer aesthetic. Sure. I mean, like, uh, the first thing that comes up when you Google, what did I Google? I think it was like a serial killer board game. <laughs> There's like literally a game called like Killer or something. And it's it's really you it's a it's a murder mystery game. That's really, really it's, that's really what it is. It's like a, a a basic murder mystery in a box. One person is deemed the killer in a room, and their job is to murder the people, the other people in the room, right? Like it's that shit. So the shit exists, and those concepts exist. It's just I think it's it's applying it and trying to uh, emulate a specific series of real life events i think is where it's unnecessary because how do you just how do you say no the concept of death you're really making you're really sensationalizing it because i mean how uh, yes you you can you're able to like you can do that but like death is ever death is a part of life so it's going to be part of things right like yeah, and, and actually, that's a very good segue into the the last point that we had for this segment, which was: Is there a solution that balances education, appetite, and sensitivity? And I think if if you can gratify letting me answer that, I think in the case of Dahmer specifically, or some of the other documentaries I've seen, like I think I watched most, if not all, of the Bundy series that was on, I think it was Netflix a few years ago, but you know, incorporate the victims or their families, have them talk about their point of view. And then sure, you know, show recreations of the crime, look into the killer's mind, but give people a 360 degree perspective and remind them of the horrors that these killers have done and the harm that they've done, not just to their victims, but family and society at large. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I think um I mean, I think the the what did we call the uh the year, the mundane year or whatever we called it. Like I think that level, that like neutralish level is just like a documentary because again, it's just something that's sure. laying out the facts, laying out how like you said how the victims were impacted and you don't necessarily need to have interviews or anything with with the victims depending on I suppose the resources of whatever type of uh media that you're absorbing uh, that is telling the story but i also think though when it comes to more dramatic representations have you seen mind hunter 
I have not seen Mindhunter. I know of it. I have not seen it. Yeah, I think, I mean, Mindhunter is about, like, the FBI developing the tools to identify and I catalog might be the wrong word, but almost, you know, I'll just use it, catalog, like, these these types of killers, this new type of serial killers, this new type of killer. And... I think they the show does the show has the the agents they go and they interview and they speak to a number of serial killers that are real based on real people like like uh, Ed Kemper and I think it does a good job of not not sensationalizing those the portrayal of those killers or making them seem like they're supposed to be sympathetic uh, like I really think a lot of early episodes of Dahmer did. And the other thing about the kind of the last thing I want to say about the Dahmer specific, the series specific, what I also really don't like about it is that all of these details that are put in the show and it's, and, and are apparently accurate, like where are the majority of these details coming from? They're coming right from Dahmer himself. You're literally letting Dahmer tell his own story above anyone else's. That's what I really don't, what I really didn't like about it. It's just like, there's a thing, there's such thing of, of having too much information. Yeah. And, and I mean, people are, are always going to write, no matter who that is, the most flattering version of themselves. Um, the, the right. version of themselves that even if you're a killer somehow makes you sympathetic. And again, I, I think that's seriously wrong. In the case of the Dahmer series, it, it would be like, I, okay, so I think this, it was either a book or it was a TV special that came out years ago, but OJ Simpson came out with something called, if I did it, like, if, yeah, and I was like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, for the love of fuck, like, right? come on, that is the most exploitation as dumb thing I've heard. And I feel like in a way, though, Dahmer, how you're suggesting it is kind of similar. It's like, well, yeah, you know, I'll paint you a picture of what did happen. But it's more like what could have happened or did happen in my mind, meaning Dahmer's mind. And you have to understand how manipulative these people are. That's how they survive and don't get caught after their initial crimes. They're manipulative. And... They're going to paint themselves in a sympathetic way. So, yeah, how do we balance this out? You got to give a you got to give equal time to the victims and their families. Like I, I just think Dahmer's completely missed the mark there. Yeah, I agree. And, and again, that's that's from the real life victims and the real life victims' families, like right from their mouths. Right, right. That's not even us speculating. Well, that was uplifting. <laughs> I. <laughs> I I, w- I I okay I okay one, yeah one last thing I I do think that I'm not and maybe it sounds that way but I'm not like advocating for burying these types of stories right one uh, I I I'm always conflicted about you know when the media shares uh, and continues to repeat the name of let's you know for instance the latest school shooter when this name and this person or person's agenda gets continuously pushed in this 24 seven news cycle. I'm always very conflicted about, oh, okay, we have to hear this name over and over and over. And then you never get, you never know the victims. Like you never get the victim story. 
so that's kind of part of it too. But also, I think knowing the Dahmer story and knowing how a person like this managed to be as, you know, quote unquote, successful in their killing, because a lot of also what's portrayed in the show is at the time, you know, the, the racism and the homophobia that the police, you know, had and operated under in, in that area and in that time period. So that's, that's the, that's also important, right? Like knowing how and why that happens, that allows it to stop, to be stopped and prevented in the future. So historically, and again, educationally, there's importance to these stories, but there's gotta be a fucking line. Fair comment, my friend, fair comment. Uh, I agree with that completely. I don't really have anything to add to that except to say that that's that's very logical. So, Netflix, you can keep making this stuff, just do better. Try harder, do better, give us a 360-degree view, don't be exploitationist. So, let's move on to our second and last segment for today, which is movie musings, uh, as I strongly alluded to in the banter segment. Uh, this one's called The House of Mouse. Um, I wanted to discuss Disney. I, I find Disney a fascinating company, especially in the past decade, uh, especially recently. So, uh, listener, just as a very quick update, Bob Iger, who had been the CEO of Disney from 2005 to 2020, retired, said he was done with Disney, never going to come back. He, I think he said, said the term, can't go back home. As recently as a few months ago, he was replaced by his handpicked successor, Bob Chapek, so another Bob, who suddenly was ousted by the board on Sunday night, and Bob Iger is now back and happy with a two-year contract. So, a lot's been happening. Disney stock, as I mentioned, has lost 40% in the past year, but it's, it's just, in my opinion, it's a really interesting story about two clashing philosophies of leadership on the the research I've done into this because Bob Iger was the guy who bought Lucasfilm, bought Marvel, bought Fox, did all these big moves to expand what the Disney IP was. He's very much an expansionist. Like, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but he's like an Alexander the Great or a Napoleon or something like that. Like, he wants to expand the overall land and footprint Whereas Bob Chapek is much more of a accountant. He is all about austerity, cutting costs, layoffs, trimming, tightening the belt. And it appears that that, in addition to a few political things, caused his ouster, caused the board to say, nope, we don't want that Bob. We want the old Bob. I, I just find it fascinating. And I mean, ultimately, money, money talks. And I do think that is the main reason. Which I think is unfortunate because two other non-financial reasons are thrown out there, which I guess are the reasons I will speak to. But I don't believe that the non-financial reasons were or should have meant that a CEO of this size company should be ousted. So the first actually has to do with Scarlett Johansson. I mean, it's as simple as a lawsuit from ScarJo where she blamed Disney, I'm sure you'll remember Leland, for re- releasing Black Widow on streaming. 
you know, at the same time as theaters, which then caused her a lot of royalties to be lost. So she she sued Disney. And I've heard some things that I felt, or sorry, I should say I've read some things that I felt were a little bit of a stretch, like that by defending the suit against ScarJo, Bob Chapek was falling into the trap of like not being conscientious with the overall population, how they were struggling during COVID. I I mean, that's a total stretch in my mind, but it's basically like, oh, ScarJo's hurting for money, so's the general public, while Bob Chapek is showing through his treatment of ScarJo that he doesn't care about the general public either. I thought that was <laughs> right. a real stretch. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the other one, and this this is more controversial, but I tried to be realistic about it, which is Florida, the state of Florida where Disney World is, has the, they call it the don't say gay bill or law. Now, I actually don't know, and I should have looked up what that law entails, but I mean, it sounds like obviously it's anti-LGBTQ2S+, but apparently... Bob Chapek tried to be apolitical about it. He just tried to stay out of it. And that inflamed both sides. So Florida is actually quite a conservative state, which is why the government of the state was putting in this law. So conservatives in the state of Florida were like, well, Disney, you're not doing anything. And then Disney's, you know, the the part of Disney that are, that are advocates for that community um, especially some of their younger workers are like, well, you're not defending this community. You know, you're not being a good corporate uh, steward. So he really was being pushed on both sides. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the segment, I, I can't see how that in the ScarJo lawsuit would be enough to oust a CEO of this stature. But I do see that everywhere. So I, I, do you have an opinion on that? Uh, I mean, I agree with you that it's like commonplace now, you know, like there's always a group behind something angry at another entity because they're for or against what they are behind. You know what I mean? Like that always happens no matter what you're dealing with or what issue you're talking about or what side you're on. Right. Like, especially when you, I mean, and obviously being the size that they are, they're under the biggest microscope, right? Like the, the larger corporations seem to be held more accountable than some other people and entities uh, because of their size and because of their visibility, which I don't really have an opinion on whether or not that is a good or bad thing. I, I don't know. But you're right. It doesn't seem like this guy's done something that is so egregious to get him canned after literally being the disciple of King Iger. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> which which he was. You know, another another thing that's interesting that I, I had read, which I thought might be apt, it was just one place. I should have recorded the source. It was yesterday, late at night, but... They basically said Disney is trying to pull what Apple did when they brought back Steve Jobs a second time. Like he was one of their most esteemed leaders, a visionary, led to growth. So the company's in trouble. Bring him back. You know, Steve Jobs did. He 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 did revitalize Apple for several years prior to his death. 
Um, and will Bob Iger be able to do the same thing? I hope so. One thing I was thinking about when I was prepping for this episode, though, is Bob Iger's speciality is buying up major IPs and adding them to Disney. Like I said, expansion by simply writing big checks. But who else is out there that is reasonably for sale that you'd want? Like, are you going to buy Sony Entertainment? Like, Yeah, right. I don't know who they may or may not have their sights on now. But, like, I don't, I don't understand... <laughs> like what what are the expectations as far as earnings because i mean obviously like they like moby you are now you are they have shareholders uh such as yourself call me the founder like michael keaton in the oh, mcdonald's okay. movie i'm the they founder have, <laughs> <laughs> they have the founders that they're are, are, are beholden to uh like any you know like a pub, mega publicly traded uh corporation but like, what's the, where's the threshold of, of how well the company's doing before they're, or, or how poorly do they need to be doing before, all right, the CEO, they're out of here. Like, this is, is seems like similar to what's going on at Warner Brothers, right? They get rid of, uh, you know, get rid of those that were at the helm during the, the pandemic and, the, you know, the people that got them through those two or three years, right? As we're starting to, you know, things are, are normalizing and, and and status quo almost but now it's like you know what okay great they 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 took us through but they're not doing it they're not good enough now they're good enough in the bad times but now they're not good enough like is that what's happening yeah yeah i i mean i i actually don't know what's happening i i think everything is is open you know one other thing that i i read was that disney plus is not meeting their expansion or their expectations. But like, I know Disney plus is now the number one streaming service in North America. They have done a lot of improvements since it launched in adding their IPs in their back catalog, including peripheral stuff that they own like ESPN, you know, back stuff. Like I always talk to you about watching X files. I watch it on Disney plus. Like, I don't know how much Disney plus more has to add. So I think my concern, and this is my concern as a founder, is <laughs> Bob Iger has a two-year contract, and I don't see what he can do in that two years to turn things around. I have faith because he spent his whole career growing and expanding Disney, so I hope he'll find something, but I don't know what it is sitting here in November 23rd, 2022. Right. I, I mean, I didn't know uh, that's sad about Disney Plus being the most popular. Now, that's not honestly not surprising. And I was just thinking of like that launched in 2018. Wow. And yeah, it like Disney Plus is like my number one, my number one street. Like Disney Plus is great. I, I love Disney Plus. Me too. And I remember when it was first come out, we're like, this is garbage. For, I mean, I was like, this is stupid. It's not for me. I just watched Mandalorian. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> they have way more than just your typical, your Marvel and Star Wars fair, right? Like think of a huge variety of catalog. Yeah. It's, it's in my opinion, it's the most diverse offering of a streaming service because Disney now owns so many IPs. And it also has a lot of the really good stuff that you want to watch. Like all the Marvel, all the Star Wars, you know, all the uh, 
I mean, you could go down the list so much 20th Century Fox stuff, the kids stuff. It's like the robo babysitter. I was uh, I was texting about that with listener Ben earlier today. And you're right. Like it is improved leaps and bounds. I was on Disney Plus day one when it released in Canada. And of course, it came out, I think, with the two first episodes of Mandalorian. That was the hook to get you to sign up. But I remember it had like nothing else. Like you could you could click the tabs to like scroll over through like various genres like cartoon drama. And you would click like twice and be back at the beginning. It's like, really? It's like, (laughs) click, click the Mandalorian. Well, I guess I can watch the Mandalorian again. Or, you know, Snow White moves across the screen three times, then comes back as Snow White. Now, to Disney Plus's credit, in that four years, they have improved, to my opinion, be other than YouTube, but that's my personal use of YouTube. But mainstream streaming services, they are number one. Just the, there's just so much content I want to watch on there. And they're the least under threat of me ever canceling of the mainstreaming services. Like there's, there's so much I have wish listed there that I genuinely want to watch that it's like, I couldn't see myself canceling it anytime soon. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I agree. Like I'm, I don't know why I sold Netflix because I like never watch it. I know, me neither. Okay, but tell okay, tell me. Maybe I don't know if you can maybe break this down for me. But what exactly are the you know the alarm bells? The you know the the klaxons ringing here and over at Disney saying that the ship is sinking. Like what are exactly the indicators other than this dip in profitability? I think it. I think the dip in profitability caused panic, not concern. Not a logical, emotionless decision. Panic. I think that's why you fire your CEO of two years on a Sunday night when just the week prior he had delivered his plan for the next few years for, you know, belt tightening, austerity, some layoffs, stuff like that. I think Bob Iger had gotten the Disney board of executives so used to growth in endless expansion that they couldn't see Disney existing any other way. They're like, no, we're not a company of belt tightening and temporary contraction and layoffs and stuff like that. Whereas Bob Chapek, recently ousted, was just trying to make the dollars meet, just trying to balance the checkbook. And I think that's fair for him to have wanted to do. Long term for Disney, long term, I don't think the outlook is good. And my investment in them is not planned to be long-term. It's more like short to medium term, like next couple years. I think I told you I will sell my shares if Disney, you know, just gets back to its normal level. And the reason for that is, okay, so you expand, expand, expand. You have to maintain all those employees and those intellectual properties or they just wilt away. And if you don't have the strong economic fundamentals to support that, you're probably going to face like a bigger contraction or collapse. But what happened to too big to fail, Moby? The banks can do it. Why can't Disney? I know. I don't know. Maybe it's like Disney China locking the doors because of COVID. You can't go in there. Maybe that's screwing them over. <laughs> that's the downfall. <laughs> I don't know because, you know what? In many ways, it actually seems like a pretty healthy company. Like if you if it you does. and I were having this podcast a couple weeks ago or a week and a half ago when it was originally meant to be recorded, 
none, none of this that we're discussing now would have been on it. Right. And and it's because suddenly the Disney executive board has done some dramatic shit to make me think that there is a problem. But if I was just merely going along my Disney Plus and hearing about friends going to Disney World like my brother did recently, I would have never thought there was the slightest problem in Disney. So, so panic. Panic. I think it's panic. I guess. But I mean, like, what's, I don't know, what's going to happen? Like, maybe they just, like, run two fewer rides at every one of their fucking establishments and <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. You know what I mean? Like, there's, okay, but honestly, like, what do they do? They just, like, start selling shit off or they don't focus they they cancel a bunch of projects like what what realistically what will happen like they they're so they seem so segmented they they have so many different streams of revenue well to their detriment and this is kind of what i was trying to say just a couple minutes ago i think bob Iger is going to add more segments i think it's going to create a smoke and mirror situation where disney's going to feel like they're growing feel like they have more revenue but it's going to be built on a house of cards right it's like a good ponzi scheme it <laughs> ponzi scheme exactly exactly you know you keep putting yeah. fuel in the fire but the fuel is like the tinder balsa wood that burns off in five seconds but it's like well we just got as long as we keep stoking that fire keep shoveling it's yeah, a burning keep shoveling. it's a burning well how hard can it possibly be to identify the segments that are not turning a profit or are breaking even versus other other areas that are clearly making up or compensating for projects that that are contributing to the overall ideology and public image of Disney but just just can no longer aid in anything but those two things. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I wish I did. I wish I could come riding in on my shiny white Moby horse today with me as i've always said on this podcast with my marketing diploma and experience save the day <laughs> i i can't save disney i i i cannot i cannot and the word we love to say in this podcast i think bob Iger coming back was unnecessary i think it is a cheap uh... shot in the arm that will ultimately hurt disney more because they still got to find someone to replace him. It's not like he's a young spring chicken. It's not like he's going to be around for long. Who do you replace him with? Minnie Mouse? <laughs> Goofy? <laughs> Goofy? <laughs> no! Running <laughs> Disney. Could you imagine? <laughs> well, by the sounds of it, the new Bob was basically wearing a Goofy Pretty mascot. Much. And they walk in the floor of the park and they pull them off. Say, hey! Iger picked that goofy specifically. My my vote is Patrick Warburton. Just have Kronk run Disney. I just, <laughs> I just want to come run Disney. <laughs> come on, Cusco. I get on board with that. I that's I like it. So would I. He'd, he'd at least have a good heart. Mm. You know, it's uh, it it. I wanted to do this segment because you know I know we're gonna look back on this podcast in a couple of years and we're gonna have something to say about it, like. Believe me, assuming this podcast is still running, listeners still filling our Patreon with endless gold, you know, we'll come back to Disney <laughs> in two years and we'll see how it's going. I mean, honestly, like you say, this is like, I wouldn't have known anything was honestly wrong. Yeah, it's weird. It's like your doctor knocking on the door saying you're sick and you're like, well, I don't feel sick and I haven't been tested for anything. So 
what the hell are you talking about? But but it is a big move like that. Like, make no mistake. I mean, a company that size, you know, dumping your CEO down the toilet, bring back the old guy is a huge move. But I mean, but also, though, the company that size, if you think of it as like a giant ship, like, you don't just turn on a dime. No. You, you know, like, it took them 15 years to get where they were for Iger to retire. Absolutely. And like, how, how quickly could they have turned in two years? Apparently pretty quickly. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what they're thinking. And I'm going like, no, no, I don't really see it. Despite me putting my money where my mouth is not, apparently, I I, I don't see where they're going to go. Yeah. Well, you know, it kind of reminds me, uh, it rem- I mean, honestly reminds me of Netflix's problem, right? Yeah. Like Netflix grew and grew and grew and grew until there was no more room to grow in the market. And now they're shrinking. And now, yeah, they're trying other things with this ad-supported subscription services. Maybe that'll help them. Maybe it won't. I'm betting probably not because I bet a lot of their subscribers that signed up for that were already previous subscribers at higher tiers that now they're getting less money from. So I don't know how it's going to work. But You know, is it too much to say that even a big corporation like that could just reach out to their customers once in a while? Like if Disney Plus emailed me a survey about Disney and their offerings on the platform, I'd fill it out. If it was like 10 or 20 questions, like just ask your consumer what they want or what they think the problem is. And why I'm bringing that up right at this moment is I don't feel Netflix did that. For years, Netflix kept uh, it, it kept increasing the price of your subscription saying that, oh, you know, we need more original content. It's to fund original content. Well, as you and I, and I think Ghost Marty, have discussed on this podcast many times, we didn't want the original content, by and large. You know, we wanted the content they bought from elsewhere. It was back catalog or hired, right? It was trash. So, like, when Netflix increased my, like, per monthly cost by like five bucks in the past few years did they ever ask me if i wanted why they were increasing my cost no and, and that makes me feel more separated from the service it makes me feel powerless it makes me feel like my money is useless because it's not buying what i want and i think there's some validity to that maybe uh Iger will buy netflix <laughs> <laughs> you never know i have this weird potential thought so, like, Netflix, one of their biggest shows recently is the last Blockbuster because, of course, they bought rights to Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. And given its, like, big hit, I wonder if, like, Netflix will open a few, like, arti- artisanal, nostalgic Blockbusters <laughs> in, like, major cities. Like, are we going to go in the reverse? <laughs> We're going to create Blockbusters, wow. which eventually buy That's Netflix? Interesting. That's interesting. And then they could even write that as a season of the show. They're no longer the last blockbuster. It writes itself, honestly. Right? Yeah. I actually think it's, it's like possible. this augmented reality thing going on they could do. If Disney made a movie of the Mighty Ducks and then made an actual NHL Mighty Ducks team with their own ring <laughs> that still exists. Then... I mean, that's basically Anaheim. <laughs> That's right? as close as you're going to get. <laughs> right? And it's like, okay, like, what if, what if this is possible? I mean, now we're really digressing. Okay, we, we, <laughs> we can tie it in. Disney 
Restart Rogers video. Ah, that's it. That's, you got to compete, Disney. Well, I mean, now we're talking hockey. Maybe uh, Ryan Reynolds wants to buy the Ottawa Senators, so maybe we'll have like the uh, Ottawa Deadpoolers or something. <laughs> yeah. Or the mean? Ottawa X Men or something. The Ottawa. That would be dope. The Ottawa X Men would be awesome. It's like this R-rated <laughs> hockey experience. That might actually put asses in the seats in Ottawa. <laughs> Oh, exactly. They could have like Hugh Jackman Day where he comes out like one day a year. <laughs> Their mascot is just like Wolverine. <laughs> it's just well, Wolverine costume all around on the Every arc. time they score, these like pl- huge plastic claws come out of the boards, like pumping for <laughs> yes. a goal. <laughs> Make it happen, Ryan Reynolds. Make it happen. Make it happen, Ryan. We, we've got we've got so many ideas for you, man. <laughs> I I I still on that. I do want to say that I really. I mean, I know we just talked about it and joked about it, but I do find it really stupid that a headline Ryan Reynolds wants to buy a hockey team is news for a fucking week when it first comes out. Yeah, yeah. Like that's dumb. <laughs> yeah, it's dumb. okay. We could talk about it once and move on. Like we don't need to talk about it for a whole fucking week. It's like a week of news. Like come on. Maybe that's just up here and it's big in Canada. I don't know. I mean, my, my my theory is that there's just not a lot of news out there. A lot of news, like, I, I have a lot of services that feed to me. They say the same thing any, every day. I mean, like, every single fucking day, it seems like Putin's about to fire a nuke at Ukraine. But he hasn't, or even, like, moved to set up to do that in three months. But all my news services are like, is this the day? Will this push him to do it? It's like... At this point, I'm just like, well, just do it. Or stop <laughs> talking about sensationalism. it. Sensationalism. It's more sensationalism. It is sensationalism. It's completely sensationalism. It's the same thing with Ryan Reynolds, you know? It's like they just, they don't have much to, to talk about. Yeah, I guess. You should talk about Disney. Figure out why Disney pulled pulled their shit. But... <laughs> Maybe the CBC could interview Bob Iger. I'm sure they could get that interview. <laughs> Yeah, or you know, give Bob another because like Bob, the weird thing about him is he'll he'll get personally involved in projects actually successfully. One of the big stories is he he found the little robot startup that made BB-8, which which is really cool because BB-8 is like real. There's like an actual soccer ball robot with a head on top. It's the coolest thing, and he's he's done those kind of interventions a few times. So I don't know. CBC could like have like I don't know, find the Iger. Where he goes, helps out his various franchises by finding things that they need from like dumpsters <laughs> or something. I don't know. He's got to do something. <laughs> no, on the, on the case of Disney, it's really all I got. Yeah, I I guess we'll just wait and see what happens. I mean, uh, I don't know what signs as far as like content that we'll get. Like, well, things just, like I said, like, I don't know what the things is going to start to get canceled. And I guess it, we'll see what happens, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, there's literally no other thing I can tell you except we'll see what happens over the next couple of years. But I can tell you like November of 2024, definitely I want to revisit this at the time and see what's happened the past couple of years. If anything, if anything. I mean, there's the chance, like I, I mentioned, that there's nothing much left for Bob to do in his old age, which I think is one of the biggest concerns. You know, I think they're they're fetishizing him as a leader. Well, that, that's what, yeah, I was going to say. I wonder, if, are they 
banking on like name alone you know what i mean like hey we got we got the eiger back we're fine everything's good <laughs> come on i thought you were gonna point that in a great direction but you didn't do it, which is you know we got bob here we got bob <laughs> we got Iger here. We got Iger here. We got Iger. See, nobody cares. Don't get cheap on me, Iger. <laughs> oh, if anyone knows how to cut a jacket, it's Iger. Holy. That's right. <laughs> okay, well, let's end the show stuff. <laughs> Our website, ttpopcast.com. The T Hut Podcast on Facebook. TT Podcast on Instagram. I'm Leland underscore Steel on Twitter for as long as it still exists. And that's who I've been. I've been Moby. I try to keep the Facebook page semi-updated. And the other thing I can say is, is uh, look forward to our year, year-end review next month. Um, really looking forward to it. Thank you, Leland, for your time. And thank you, listener. Take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.